patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everybody, and welcome to episode 77 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylosky. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Make sure to subscribe to our email list so that you don't miss a single episode. We've got notifications and updates available for all of our email subscribers. Also, be sure to consider becoming a Patreon member to get even more benefits for our listeners. And I know that this year is going to be a banner year another year of more updates and more content for all in the Friends of Fellow Citizens community. Today's episode is about President's Day, but it's going to be told in a different way. Now, President's Day is two weeks from the date of this episode's release. And while President's Day is celebrated around the time of Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday, I believe that President's Day is a lot more than just commemorating those two birthdays. In fact, I would argue that George Washington, if he celebrated and supported a President's Day, he would have wanted every single president to be honored, regardless of what our views are about any particular president or administration. One president that not a lot of people have heard of is President Franklin Pierce. President Pierce was the 14th president of the United States, who served from March 4, 1853 to March 4, 1857. He is originally from the state of New Hampshire. He was born there, served in the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate until he resigned in 1842. He was very successful in law practice. He served in the Mexican-American War. And he was actually known as someone who was very bright and one who knew how to develop relations with other people. He was likable. He had good stature. And he was someone whom the Democratic Party really had a lot of faith in the election of 1852. When he ran as president against General Winfield Scott of the Whig Party. Pierce was seen as advantageous because he was a northerner who had southern sympathies. So the strategy for the Democratic Party in nominating him was that they were able to siphon a lot of votes from the north and retain that solid majority in the south. Pierce was seen as a dark horse. He was someone who not a lot of people had heard of. Even after the war, when he came back to his home, A lot of people supported him back in his home state, but if you weren't really from New Hampshire, from the Democratic Party establishment, you didn't really know who this man Franklin Pierce was. He was often called a doe-face, which is a nickname for a northerner who has those southern sympathies. His idea was that he wanted to keep slavery as an institution within the United States But he saw a lot of different challenges. Clearly, the expansion of slavery was the key issue. When new territories like the Kansas Territory, the Nebraska Territory came into play, Pierce was very much tasked with dealing with those divisions 
within the Democratic Party for sure, but really just larger within the country. When he was elected in 1852, a lot of people had a lot of confidence that he was going to be able to be some kind of bridge or at least be able to alleviate these hard divisions that had been hardening for quite some time. Unfortunately, even to this day, Pierce is seen as an absolute failure in so many ways. The Kansas-Nebraska Act, which he was reluctant to sign, established an idea called popular sovereignty, which allowed the territories to vote on whether or not they wanted to become a free state or a slave state. He thought, just like many in the administration, thought this would be a great opportunity to to say to basically punt the issue back to the states. People thought that this was going to be the way to go, that you just need popular sovereignty, and whatever the people decide, that was going to be the policy in that state. What happened was a violent series of episodes of just utter chaos. People flooded into Kansas, and not only did they start fighting each other, people started killing each other. In many ways, the Civil War really started in a place like Kansas, because people like John Brown, even a staunch abolitionist, he let people to hack a bunch of people into pieces. The Confederates, they did the same thing. They killed other people, including abolitionists and slaves. The madness all of a sudden became something known as Bleeding Kansas. And Pierce was very, very much criticized by the abolitionists and even some Democrats for allowing such violence to spill out out of control. He supported something called the Austin Manifesto, which a lot of people thought was almost like an invitation to further conflict with Spain. With the passage of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, previous precedents and years of progress, like the Missouri Compromise, were all of a sudden repealed. The Fugitive Slave Law was strengthened under the Kansas-Nebraska Act and under his presidency. Moreover, people saw Pierce as a weak leader, someone who couldn't really communicate very well to people who had differing views. People thought he was just way too sympathetic to the South, that he really had other intentions, intentions of instituting slavery across the United States eventually. Pierce was just not able to keep anyone on board on any kind of platform. To really sum it up, he just angered everybody. Maybe the only group that isn't angered are the people in the South, the whites in the South who supported slavery. The Democratic Party itself realized that Pierce was just no longer able to hold that political capital for the next election, 1856. He wasn't even nominated to be running for a second term. Instead, it was given to James Buchanan. Pierce, after his presidency, largely went into obscurity in the later years. He was very, very vocal and very critical of President Lincoln. He certainly did not like the habeas corpus suspension under Lincoln. He was one to try and have some kind of reconciliation and peace, but this was just not going to be feasible at all. Not under his administration, not under the Buchanan administration, and ultimately spilled over into the Lincoln administration where we had that very, very tragic civil war. Historians often rank Pierce as one of the worst presidents in the history of the United States. 
Now, up to this point, I've really told just the basic narratives of President Pierce. And a lot of this is true. He was not able to be able to accomplish the things that could keep America together. I don't think many of us, including myself, agree with the policies that he supported. This has been the common narrative. And in its sense, there is no, nothing really wrong with it. In fact, we all have our own opinions about presidents anyway. But I felt that there was something deeper. There was something that must have been happening to President Pierce himself that maybe much of the country and much of really the course of history people didn't know about. I decided to do some more research about President Pierce. What I found about his personal life is truly sad. He wasn't just an incompetent president with low approval ratings throughout his term and low rankings amongst historians. He was a man who faced almost insurmountable tragedy that no man could ever imagine could happen to anyone at any time. On November 19, 1834, Pierce married Jane Means Appleton. Appleton was a daughter of a congregational minister named Jesse Appleton. The Appletons were actually politically on the other side of Pierce. They were Whigs, while the Pierces were Democrats. Jane Pierce was very shy, uh, but she was someone who also faced a lot of tragedy herself. It still amazes me that Franklin Pierce and Jane Pierce even got along in a place like Washington, D.C. She reportedly did not like politics. She absolutely did not like Washington, D.C. And to her credit, not a lot of people did because it just wasn't a very nice, pleasant place physically in terms of the weather there, not to mention the swampy sort of nature, the bugs and all the rest. It was just really, really nasty. So I, I, in this sense, I don't blame her at all. But this really caused a lot of friction between Franklin Pierce and Jane Pierce, especially when they had to move to the White House after Pierce was elected. They had their first child named Franklin Jr., born on February 2nd, 1836. You can imagine how happy a new mother and father were when they saw their first child come into life. Sadly, Franklin Jr. died just three days later, causing Franklin and Jane an immense amount of pain and tragedy. Their second son was born on August 27, 1839. His name was Frank Robert Pierce. Once again, Franklin and Jane were delighted to see that they had another boy. They wanted to see him grow, to be able to achieve many of the great accomplishments that Franklin had made already in his life. In 1841, a third child was born named Benjamin Pierce. This was around the time when Franklin decided to leave the Senate and return back to New Hampshire. This was obviously big news for Jane, as she, like I mentioned earlier, really, really hated Washington, D.C. And so this was set as another example of how the Pierces wanted to find another path forward in their lives. 
and when Benjamin was born, it felt like they could continue to raise their family, raise their family in New Hampshire. And with Pierce, with his law practice, they'd be able to find that new comfort in their lives. But pretty much soon after Benjamin was born, Frank Roberts died at the age of four from epidemic typhus on November 14th, 1843. One can just only imagine how devastated Jane and Franklin were when they heard of the passing of their young son. For both of their first two sons, neither of them lived past the age of four. But Franklin Pierce wasn't giving up on his career. He wanted to still make his family proud, still wanted to work towards a career in public service. He is in the running for the Democratic nomination, and while the Democratic Party had quite a bit of trouble finding a candidate, they finally picked him as the candidate. He defeats Winfield Scott by a landslide in 1852. Many, including myself, would recognize that as the pinnacle of Franklin Pierce's career. And he was ready to move to Washington, D.C. And while there was still that friction between himself and Jane, he knew that he was taking on a monumental challenge and that he wanted to deliver the political mandate that he was given to ensure that the United States would be kept intact and that the issue of slavery would be resolved. On the way to Washington, D.C., the president-elect's family travels by train from Boston. And unfortunately, the train derails, rolls down an embankment near Andover, Massachusetts. The horrific crash was absolutely disastrous. Franklin and Jane Pierce survived. But as one can imagine, when surfing through the wreckage, looking for survivors and identifying the victims, tragically, the president-elect and Jane Pierce found that their son, little Benjamin, just 11 years old, was crushed by the train's impact. Imagine if you're the president-elect and you were to head to Washington, D.C. to be taking on a position that virtually no one wanted, with people fighting, with such issues, with politics and all the rest. Imagine having to go through these horrible tragedies. After the passing of little Benjamin, Franklin and Jane Pierce suffered very, very severe depression especially Jane. She just could not imagine what life was bringing her right now. She was oftentimes alone in the White House. I just cannot begin to imagine the pressure and the the tragedy that President Pierce had to work through every single day in his time as president. When people are fighting about political issues, about moral issues, and all the rest that was going on, he himself was going through very, very horrific tragedy. 
Not only that, President Pierce had a drinking problem. When he was younger, he frequently drank. He got very unhealthy. He reportedly was arrested for running over a woman with a carriage, presumably because he was drunk. It is in part because of his wife that he was able to quit drinking, and that he was able to get back to leading a more healthier lifestyle, but it still took a toll on him. It's certainly a time in your life when you realize that you don't, you're not proud of it. Even after all this tragedy, all the things that were happening throughout the presidency, unfortunately, President Pierce went back to drinking in the 1860s. And he just, he just continued to lose not only his popularity, which I guess by that point isn't really relevant to him at all, but he was losing his sanity. He was losing his health. Jane was not feeling any better. And it's just, when he passes away in 1869, I can't even begin to describe how someone could go through all this tragedy and be able to still every single day show up to work and to try and make the country a little bit better than it was before. Now, as I'm telling you a bit about this different side of President Pierce, compare that to the previous narrative I just mentioned. How big of a contrast do you feel when it comes to hearing the political accomplishments and the career of someone and juxtaposing that with the personal tragedies that that president went through. Now, again, this does not mean that we need to agree with President Pierce's policies. I made that very clear earlier on. But after learning about some of this, learning about what President Pierce himself was going through, I do think it was also a story of just utter courage. So often, I think it's easy for people to say, well, why can't the president just do this? Why can't the president just do that? Why can't he just change that policy? And it might be true. It might be true that the president should have done something different. But the real question, and in this case about President Pierce, which is how many of us truly would have done far better than he did if we were in his shoes? How many of us were realistic enough to be able to see that a civil war was going to happen and Abraham Lincoln was going to come in and he was going to be able to keep this country united? No one at that time could ever have witnessed that. And so it's not easy for us to just say that everything that he did was just absolute bonkers and that he he didn't know what he was doing. It's possible that there were things that he probably should have known more about. But the key thing about this is that when it comes to President's Day, what is amazing about President's Day is that it's not just about one particular president, like President Washington or President Lincoln or President Pierce, President Polk or President Madison. It is all about the people who occupy that office. That's the real key thing here, is to recognize the office of the presidency is always going to be far bigger and more significant than any one individual or any one election. And it's about honoring that office that really 
brings people together. We don't have to agree on what we think about President Lyndon Johnson's war on poverty. We don't need to agree necessarily on you know, President Lincoln's suspension of hobbyist corpus. But the, the key thing is to be sure to learn all the aspects of a president and understand that there are certainly some things that I think should be kept private, especially when a president is still serving. However, when we flip through the history books and we read about presidents like President Pierce, like President Buchanan, who I would argue was actually worse uh, in terms of the policies, in terms of what he did, and the fact that the Civil War, in many ways, the run-up occurred mostly during the, the presidency of Buchanan. What I find very fascinating about President Pierce is that although he was not super outspoken about his personal life, he still kept going. He could have resigned. That's one of the things. And not to say that he should or shouldn't resign in that position, but he chose to carry on and finish that term, that long four years. And that in itself, I think, is a remarkable achievement. What he had to go through and what the First Lady, Jane, had to go through, no president should ever have to go through. What is interesting in America is that I'm glad to see that most people want the president to succeed because the president's success is our success. But then there are those who launch personal attacks, who just lose their minds, essentially, and don't respect the office at all. And they just want to gain that little political advantage, if you want to call it that. And that's not something that we on this program stand for. We stand for being able to debate policies and legislation. That is how a citizenry is supposed to work together and to resolve differences. On this President's Day, on every single President's Day, what I find amazing is that it is really a holiday that honors those who have given a lot to serve and to try and make the country better. People who know me know that I always believe every single president that has stepped into that Oval Office, that has stepped into the White House, has taken that oath, becomes president because they want to make the country better. I'll conclude with a quick quote from none other than Washington's farewell address. And as Washington is explaining his reasoning for delivering this address, here's what he writes. Quote, the impressions with which I first undertook the arduous trust were explained on the proper occasion. In the discharge of this trust, I will only say that I have, with good intentions, contributed towards the organization and administration of the government, the best exertions of which a very fallible judgment was capable. Not unconscious in the outset of the inferiority of my qualifications, experience in my own eyes, perhaps still more in the eyes of others, has strengthened the motives to diffidence of myself. And every day, the increasing weight of years admonishes me more and more that the shade of retirement is as necessary to me as it will be welcome. Unquote. What Washington is essentially saying here is that he went into that office knowing that he wanted to do the best he could, but he admitted that he has potentially fallible judgment on particular issues. 
that is incredibly humbling for our first president to lay out. And I believe that President's Day very much fits in with this idea that it's not about worshiping a president. A president is not a god. A president is not a deity. A president is a human being, just like each and every single one of us. And if we want to preserve the office of the presidency as an institution, I think President's Day is one of the best ways to celebrate it. I love reading about funny stories about different presidents. Uh, Some presidents have very unique backgrounds. I, for one, did not know that Lincoln was a wrestler. Uh, I would have definitely would like to see Lincoln in a a WWE competition. (laughs) Um, I did not know that you know, someone like Andrew Jackson survived an assassination attempt, which, if you look at the if you look at the story, uh, statistically, I don't even know how he beat the odds. Maybe it's just because he was Andrew Jackson, his name Old Hickory. Uh, but it's just you know these fun stories and fun facts about presidents and what they used to do in their private life and in their career. This is what really makes America special: is when we are able to celebrate the lives and the service of our leaders. And recognize that they have various different qualities, that they brought in a quality of some kind of public service and consideration towards others. I think that is very much the essence of what President Day sets. Also, note if you note that in the farewell address, there is no mention of the word president. President in itself was a very humble term when Washington and the founders conceived that position for the executive branch. They had to come up with a name. They came with a very humble name, President. And what's interesting is when Washington leaves out President, it's almost like he knows that when he's speaking to everyone, he's speaking to people, including future presidents, but who are not deviated away from the people through a title, but are actually part of serving for the common good within the nation. And whether it's through cherry pie or through funny stories of presidents, I I hope that you have a wonderful President's Day coming up later this month. We will have our Sacred Honor Series episode about William Ellery, a delegate from the colony of Rhode Island. I hope you will join us on that episode two weeks from the release of this one. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to take a look at the links down in the show notes below to subscribe to our email list. And if you want to learn more about our Patreon membership, click on the link down in the show notes below to take a look at the latest new benefits for our members. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.